Hello, and welcome to the She Flourishes podcast, a weekly soul-stirring conversation that lifts you out of the funk and into the flourishing life, so you can live life as the best version of you. I'm your host, Brenda Jasmine. For the past 11 years, I've been coaching women and leading personal development workshops as a speaker and mindset coach. She Flourishes is an extension of those workshops and conversations and is designed to help you create the flourishing life that you were meant to live. Let's get started. I am absolutely delighted to have our guest here today on the podcast. Um, She is a friend of mine and she's also a registered psychotherapist. So today we have with us Sarah Flanagan. And as I said, she is a registered psychotherapist working in Toronto. Uh, But before she started her path to working as a psychotherapist, she studied theater at the University of Toronto, and she worked for many years in nonprofits, government, as well as higher education. And in her work as a therapist, Sarah provides a non-judgmental, supportive, and at times playful atmosphere in which clients can safely explore and be themselves. By offering a space to give voice to thoughts and feelings, connections can be made between patterns past and present, allowing her clients to access and build inner resources and authenticity. Sarah strives to work in an anti-oppressive, feminist, sex-positive, and LGBTQ2S plus framework. So today, um, I also want to add that my guest, Sarah, and I, uh, we met doing our certificate in Applied Positive Psychology uh, a few years back now. Um, But welcome. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Brenda. I'm very excited to be here, to be talking with you today. Yeah. Well, and today is also a very special day. It is Sarah's birthday. So happy birthday, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I love how you, um, you say that you also at times there is a playful atmosphere in the work that you do, um, even though definitely psychotherapy can be like very, you know, serious, um, you know, when people go and, and have therapy. But I love that you added in the playful atmosphere because just from knowing you, Sarah, like, so what I will tell you about Sarah that isn't in her bio is that she has a a wicked sense of humor. She has a really, (laughs) like, great sense of humor. And we always, like, find things to laugh about, even when it's serious things that we're talking about, right? So, and I'm sure your clients really appreciate that side of you, too. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you. Um, Yeah, so to me, uh, being playful or that being a component of therapy, when it makes sense, is something that is is important, right? Like, therapy is the process of therapy includes all of human experiences. So, you know, clients will bring a lot of humor. And, and it's important that I also, you know, if they're laughing about something, Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's sometimes that's a coping strategy, of course, or what people mm-hmm. might call a defense mechanism. Yes. Um, but uh, but sometimes you you just have to laugh about your circumstance or something funny happens, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like, um, you know, a, a, and uh, there's an aspect of therapy where it's it's like improv in some ways, not like um humorous improv all the mm-hmm. time but mm-hmm. I don't know what the client's gonna be 
coming to me with and I don't know what I'm going to be responding with until it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's all kind of part of the process. Yeah. Yes. Like being on a podcast, we never really know what's going to show up right. <laughs> in the conversation. And what, which is why I love having, you know, bringing people on for a conversation because, um, and, and I wanted to bring you on Sarah because, and I so appreciate you agreeing um, to be on and especially on your birthday. And um, I really am, um, wanted to bring you on because I know that mental health week is coming up and, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people that are dealing with, you know, mental health issues, including, you know, depression and anxiety. And, and I know, um, you know, part of the work, you know, like I'm a certified life coach and you're a registered psychotherapist and there, there, there are some similarities, but there's, there are very, um, uh, there are big differences as well. And I think it's really important for people to know um, the difference. And I just want to tell people a little bit about that. So you are, you do what's called relational psychotherapy, yes. um, which is really about the relationship. And I, you've told me here, it's it's about the relationship with oneself, with important people, um, as well as the relationship between the client and the therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, that our sense of self is formed by the experiences we have and the societal context in which we live. And that these experiences form beliefs, patterns, and ways of coping that may not be serving us any longer. And I, I will go maybe circle back to that because I think that's really important, a key thing with therapy, talking about those patterns. And um, and in relational therapy, it's through the co-creation of a new kind of relationship between therapist and client, a relationship that's based in empathy, support, and genuine presence, that healing from past relational trauma can take place. And in this way, patterns of relating can be loosened and let go, allowing for freedom and authenticity to flourish. And there's my favorite word flourish in there too. So just, I'm, I'm glad you sent that to me too, just so people understand the type of psychotherapy you do, but maybe you could tell our listeners, like, how would you say, like, what would you say? And maybe I could chime in too, being a life coach, but what would you say it would be the difference between like life coaching and, and psychotherapy? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think there are differences, but also having never been a life coach, uh, I don't know from that side. So that's yeah, where I'll I can be looking. speak to that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So therapy, um, I imagine is a bit different. You know, there's all kinds of clients that, that come to therapy, uh, dealing with all kinds of issues. Usually the issues are emotional in nature. Um, the type of therapy I do is relational therapy, like you just described. Um, and so often they, the therapy I do relates to how we are relating with others, how we are relating with ourselves, um, or pain from past relationships, whether it's parental relationships or caregivers in the past or other formative relationships that can happen at any time in our lives. The, the, the focus is really on diving into the emotional landscape, the life, emotional life of the client and really understanding it, their life or their experiences as close, as close from the inside as I can get as a separate person so that they really feel understood by me and they can feel the, the kind of caring container that is created in the therapy to then be able to actually explore like what is happening here 
when I have a conflict with my mom? How do I feel about it? What almost like getting into that real granularity. Um, and of course, just having a space to express um, and be held non-judgmentally, which might be that might be part of what life coaching is too, in some respects. Maybe where they might overlap a little bit is that people do come to therapy with specific goals. The type of therapy I do, which is it's a it's a form of talk therapy, so two people talking, much like we are now. So so the way that it, it's a bit different to track a goal, um, right? Like if I say I have really low self-esteem, I want to improve my self-esteem, you know, that's something that I'm monitoring and maybe we're checking in on how that's feeling as we're going along. Um, but usually we're diving into different aspects of that person's life in emotional life, past, present, and getting into some of the root causes of those emotional issues which can sometimes mean for some people that things feel a little worse before they start to feel better. Yeah, I think that they're pretty different. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I would add is that, you know, sometimes clients seek therapy and what they're actually looking for and what they tell me is like, give me advice, tell me what to do. Um, a lot of, not a lot of people, but, but when some people come to therapy to resolve a dilemma in their life, uh, should I stay in a relationship or should I go? Uh, should I stay in a job or should I go? And that might be somewhat similar, I think, especially with you with on the career aspect of it. You know, but I imagine that I would take a pretty different approach, even if we're talking about career, uh, diving into, okay, like what is going on here with your career? And usually it's not just about the career, which I'm sure is something you've also... <laughs> found. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, but something that I don't do really is give advice or, or, you know, there might be some people in some situations where guidance of, of some sort is uh, necessary, but that at the core of it isn't part of my role. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's also similar to you, Brenda, as a life coach, that it's about uncovering the, the the client uncovering for themselves what is happening, making those connections for themselves, because that is actually what creates change. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And yes, there there's definitely some overlap and um but but differences as well. And so yeah, technically um you know pure coaching would not be giving advice either. Um, now it depends if someone's a business coach, they might be more inclined, like it depends the type of coaching you sign up for too. Right. But, uh, in its purest form, coaching really is, um, you know, driven by the client and, um, the, the premise of it is, is that you're naturally creative, resourceful and whole as you are. And so we help you, you know, you have that within you um, and we help sort of pull that out. But um, but yeah, the difference, I the main one of the main differences, and, and I think you really hit on it, it's like life coaching is more about, you know, you have a goal. Um, it's kind of like going from the present forward, right? Like you have a goal right now, where do you want to go with it? And how are we going to get there? And and like let's have some accountability and some motivation and some action steps and and all of that to get there. And definitely there's, you know, the self-doubt and the limiting beliefs and things, the thoughts that can come in that can get in the way. And we we talk about that too. But if someone's bumping into, that's what I kind of think of it as is bumping into some of the stuff from their their childhood or 
you know, like you said, patterns or difficulties in the past, then I would refer them, you know, to someone like yourself, right? To say, Mm -hmm. you know, this might be something you want to look at, or if there's something like, you know, depression or anxiety or a mental health issue that, um, and some people do therapy and life coaching in conjunction with one another, right? So they come to you to talk about like those patterns and more like you said, I loved how you said that the root cause, right? Like what's really going on, what's underneath, what's maybe causing the self-esteem or self-doubt issues at a deeper level. And then, um, yeah, so they might come to you for that. And then also even at the same time, be working with someone like myself, or I have people that they've come through, they've been doing a lot of, you know, therapy, maybe they've had, you know, clinical depression, or they they have had, you know, anxiety, um, but they've worked with someone. And now they're kind of ready to take those next steps in terms of life goals or career. Yeah, so I think that definitely and I just want and people can't see Sarah, because you're, you're, um, well, those of you watching the video, but Sarah does just have this beautiful way about her of just holding space. And I think we both do that as coaches. And you just have this really calm, beautiful um, energy that makes you feel very taken care of and very safe. And I'm sure your clients Mm. really feel that with you. Um, It's really beautiful. And I think part of that is just like being able to have someone that can help you like unpack stuff from your childhood or, or things that are those patterns that do get in the way or the relationships that have been difficult. One of the things that, um, you know, Sarah and I talked about before we got on is kind of like thinking like how, how, like, how do we talk about therapy? Right. Because it is such an individual thing, right. For people. Um, So, and, you know, it's not, therapy isn't like about the five steps to this or the three steps to that necessarily. Right. So, um, but one of the things that, that you and I spoke about, Sarah, was like, I know a lot of people have come on the podcast and have said, you know, when I ask what they what people can do to flourish is sometimes they'll say, well, get still and have that self-awareness and go inside. And, and, you know, it's nice, like, that's helpful. Like, we do need to do that. But what do we do when we're there? And I was thinking, maybe that's something like the self-awareness that maybe you can shine some light on what might be helpful for our listeners. And then, Anyway, start with that. I have lots and lots of questions, yeah. but start with that maybe. Like, okay. how can we be more? We'll just dive right into that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yes. And I think that's such a, a great question um, because what I've found um, as a therapist, but also I've I've also been on the other side. I've been a client. Um, I did my own personal therapy, intensive therapy for years and in preparation as part of my training which I would say is um, to me very valuable to have a therapist who has done their own therapy. And part of the process of therapy that I, I think is not often talked about is that one of the um, maybe covert aspects of therapy, something that is happening in the process of therapy under the surface is that it it's building clients' ability to, to become self-aware Um, as we're talking about what their thoughts or feelings are, what's happened to them, what is happening for them, there's, they're building the muscle of self-reflection. And of course, some clients come in with that fully formed, they are extremely self-reflective. But many clients, I would say, come in with just not having that muscle built up. And I can speak for myself, that was something that I experienced where I, I really just did not have a self-reflective muscle 
And there were reasons for that, that I, you know, um, eventually understood for myself why that was the case. But it's something that that the process of therapy is essentially we rewiring your brain to be able to give you that little bit of space between maybe a, a reaction that you're having or and being able to actually notice the reaction. Holy moly, I am I'm going to that really anger, angry place, or I'm shutting down. Oh yeah, this is what my body feels like when it's shutting down. And that's really, really invaluable in terms of getting to know yourself, understanding what is going on for you, um, and then being able to maybe change it if that's where you want to go with it, or to just be able to work with it, right? It's not necessarily, we're not, it's not necessarily a bad thing um, on the whole. There's usually reasons for all of these reactions that we have in life. There's always mm-hmm. a reason. If I shut down in an argument, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that I feel like I need to self-protect by closing it all down, which might on the outside look like stonewalling the person that I'm in an argument with, giving them the silent treatment. Um, But that's not always what's actually happening inside. Building up that muscle of of self-awareness can happen in therapy, can also happen through things like meditation or any activity that brings you into the present or that that brings self-reflection like journaling, um, making art. That's also a place mm. where you can explore yourself. Yes. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And this is where I think the patterns can come in though too, Sarah, right? That if you notice you know, and you and I have both done the positive psychology training. So we know about the whole, like, you know, you have a reaction and you can choose your, you choosing your response versus reacting. And, you know, that's some of the stuff we can kind of, you know, logically talk to people about. But I think like where the therapy, where I could see it coming in is that, you know, you're like, you know, you're, you're shutting down and you notice that you're like, okay, I'm trying to use these tools from positive psychology or whatever, but every time I shut down and I can't even like go anywhere with that, like I get, they get really stuck and then they see this pattern and let's say it's a marriage. And if every time you're shutting down, it's like, well, where is that? Like, would you would then help them figure out where is that coming from? Like, why are you shutting down so much? Um, And then like I could see it helping a relationship because then if your partner is then looking at you saying, okay, well, you're stonewalling me, but you're saying, but no, I'm just shutting down because that's all I know how to do because this is what I, and I don't even know why I'm doing it. Like you would help them then with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great example. Um, it, it would be, I mean, kind of in a nutshell, what that might look like in therapy. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, I, I really want to stress that everyone is so different Everyone comes with their own histories, their own personalities, their own, you know, perspective on life and points of view. And, you know, that is all welcome. And it's so this is where therapy is definitely not just one thing or one way of understanding, Mm -hmm. you you know, this leads to that leads to that. There are patterns of ways of understanding, but um, it's very important that and one of the ways that that therapy with a therapist, like working with a therapist is different than say reading self-help books which can be very valuable of course um or engaging on social media kind of therapy stuff 
is that it's it's completely tailored to the client. Like it's we actually take in the all of the person's own experiences. Okay, so that sort of disclaimer mm-hmm. aside. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. that's a really, I just want to add to that, that is a really mm-hmm. important disclaimer. And I think that's why, and you can probably hear us, those of you listening, like, we have to be careful, right, when we're talking about this, because, you know, we can't say like, oh, so if you shut down, and you feel this and that, like, this is what to do. It's not as prescriptive as that, when you're listening to a podcast. And this is kind of one of the dangers, right, that mm-hmm. you you see with what can happen with um, what's happening in social media, right? That people are seeing anyway, and I know you were going to say something else, but do you want to let's yes. maybe we'll talk about that piece too, because I think if people are listening, yeah, there is a disclaimer here that this is not a one size fits all. And this is very much about um, everyone is so individual and we have, and, and just because, you know, and a reason why one person might be shutting down in the conversation might be a completely different reason why someone else is, and they have a completely different experience of that. Yes. That, I mean, that's exactly, exactly it. And um, I mean, maybe just on that social media piece, then we'll come back to yeah. the shutting down uh, part. We, I won't forget about that, but um yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a bit of an observer of these social media trends um, because there is a lot of information out there and there's a lot of therapists who are on social media, um, Instagram, TikTok, giving these brief, um, you know, little bits, little tidbits of things. And they're, they're often a distillation of a complex uh, theory or a, com- a complex idea. And they're super valuable because they resonate with people. People need to hear some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really like demystifying therapy. That I think is awesome, right? Like that is, it's, I, I, that's something that I, I hope continues that we make it more and more accessible, less stigmatized. And, you know, we're definitely on, on that path, which is really, really awesome. Um, but also just sort of taking this sort of mysteriousness out of it too, right? Where I can see there being a bit of an issue sometimes with social media is when there are trends. And one of the trends that I've noticed that I just personally feel could have a negative impact is around labeling people as narcissists and then the recommendation of cutting people off. Um, and so like cutting, uh, when you say cutting people off, like cutting yeah. them out of your life, cutting them out of your life. Okay. Yes. And, and, um, you know, there's absolutely circumstances where that is warranted. And if a client came to me and that was something they wanted to do, we would explore that if they decided to do it, then I would be supportive of that. Um, and there's certainly people who are extremely harmful there are people who fit the profile of what might be called a narcissist um, and and hurt people. And that to minim- mitigate or minimize your exposure to somebody who's hurting you makes a lot of sense. But what I see on social media is this sort of trend towards labeling lots of people as narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, this trend towards if I have discomfort with somebody, I'm just going to cut them off, cut them out of my life, even if it's temporarily. And of course, like I'm saying, there are definitely circumstances where that is the best thing for a person to do for themselves. 
um, from my perspective, especially from a relational perspective, um, the more that we isolate, the more that we disengage, uh, that that also can be harmful. Uh, and and I think there's also gets it can get very complex around. I then don't want to feel any friction in my relationships. There's maybe an expectation that if I have conflict or friction, I can just cut somebody out. Right. And I'm here to say friction and conflict, that is a, like what it is all about, unfortunately, being in a human being <laughs> who needs other people, who's interconnected as we are as a species with each other, we're interdependent. And so, you know, a big aspect of relational therapy is that we are, we actually figure out how to, to better navigate, to better tolerate those feelings of distress or discomfort, to be able to, and of course, like I said, there are definitely circumstances where cutting someone out of your life is the best thing. But how do you become okay with um, a sometimes seeing your mom who makes comments that hurt you? How do you navigate that maybe through talking with her or through your own internal process? Um, because that's an important relationship. Mm. So I guess, so that's sort of some of the social media stuff. That, yes. Yeah. 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 And so um, I'm kind of um, when you said it's like, oh, so, okay. So we need to feel some of that friction. And it's like, <laughs> people don't necessarily want to hear that. Right. And it's like, but that's the stuff of life, right? That is. Yes. Um, and this is us living out in the world with other people and being in relationship with other people. And uh, yeah, so it's learning maybe what I'm hearing you say is like how to work with people like in our lives as opposed to yeah, and there are times when you cut the person out of your life because that's the healthiest thing for you to do and you would decide that like in therapy, whether that's the right route but as like, yeah, social media, it can be seen as such a blanket statement of like, you know, um, and then yeah, suddenly it's like people are di are diagnosing other people in their lives as nar oh, that person's a narcissist. So that person must be because they said this or did this and there. And it's it's sort of misconstrued, right? And they're misunderstanding and they're mislabeling other people and then maybe taking actions that aren't in their best interest. So yeah, we really have to be careful with this. Yeah, I mean, it's just very complex. Right. Yes. Like that's sort of it's and that's where social media, like even though it's it can be such a good thing. Um, I'm talking about specifically the therapy kind of world of so social media. Um, it's also very, you know, there is a danger in boiling it down in um yeah, in in simplifying something that is very complex in individuals. Mm -hmm. And was there something else you wanted to say about that example we were talking about if there's someone who shuts down in an argument? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. So answering the question was like, what would what would it look like to maybe work with somebody who was in that that sort of situation or had that pattern? Um, and absolutely, I encounter clients who have that pattern. It's a very common way that we self-protect. It's a very common way that are, you know, it's not necessarily our brains deciding I'm going to shut down now. It's actually our nervous systems sensing too much danger, being in fight or fight, flight, freeze, 
um, and just kind of doing the thing that our nervous system does. Um, and for some people that's shutting down. And so, you know, the process of bringing awareness to what the feeling, what is happening in the body, um, where that pattern might have originated, which sometimes we can talk about, some, sometimes not, sometimes clients don't have any idea. And then working with also understanding that this is a reaction that is self-protective. So thinking about positive psychology, bringing in the self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is really difficult for clients to find self-compassion. And um, so sometimes it's just me feeling the compassion for them and mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, but but truly feeling some self-compassion for for that reaction and then maybe how it might, you know, be kind of actioned in a relationship is once there's a level of self-awareness that this is how I react and you you have a really honed sense of this is what it feels like in my body or this is what it feels like when it's starting to happen or here are the triggers, the kind of specific triggers that uh, cause that uh, fight, flight, freeze reaction, um, then a, a client could be in an argument or at the beginning of an argument and say, okay, I'm, I, I am, I'm starting to shut down. And if I shut down, I won't be able to engage with you at all. And it will just hurt you because you'll feel like I am stonewalling you mm. or giving you the silent treatment. And that is not how I want this conversation to go. Can we come back to this when I'm feeling regulated, which is, you know, the nervous system is, is back to baseline. So that's sort of a very generalized example of how that might be worked with in, in a context of therapy, at least the type of therapy I do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that would be one specific. And again, that's just one way that one person that you yeah. would, they would work with their ther- with you or another therapist and say like, this is what, this is, is how I'm going to address this. And then they might try it. I guess some people try it and then they come back to you and they say it didn't work or yeah. <laughs> didn't. And maybe you then need to find a different approach for the person. It, because I mean, certainly when we're talking about patterns that are very long standing, when we're talking about the nervous system being dysregulated that we know that the, you know, the prefrontal cortex kind of just stops working and we go right into our animal brain or amygdala is just like ah, danger. And that is something that, you know, it is automatic. It is a physiological response. And so it's not something that you're choosing. You're not choosing this reaction. It's the reaction that has worked for you in the past to feel protected and yes, and so to break through those patterns, especially of self-protection, um, we need to build up a feeling of safety to be able to engage in conversations. And so it can take it can take a long time to work through some of some patterns for some people. And um, and that's sort of maybe another, I think, benefit of therapy is that, you know, you have this space, a dedicated space um, to hold your feelings, to explore, to prioritize your experience so that you can better understand what's happening for you when you're out there in the world. Yeah. Oh, I love this, Sarah, because I think, and I, I, I love how you're talking about how it can 
it can be a response in the body. And this is what's so interesting is that a lot of things that we talk about are, you know, like there's cognitive behavioral therapy and there's the thought work. And I know in coaching, like we we do thought work and there's like cognitive behavioral therapy, sort of lay person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, self-coaching, right? That that we can all use, right? Which I wish, I mean, I think we all could benefit from learning. However, sometimes our our amygdala hijacks us, I guess, or our body hijacks us, and we don't even know where stuff is coming from. And Mm -hmm. so is that, so that's something you help people with as well as to identify like, you know, where it's, it's coming. um, Oh, you talked about this with, we were talking about this the other day um, because I had listened to the Mel Robbins podcast and they were talking about anxiety and, and I thought it was really fascinating um, because they were talking about how anxiety can actually be like an alarm in the body. And so like the the thought work isn't necessarily going to work if it's coming from the body. So can you say more about that? Because I find that I found that was a big aha for me when you we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 I think it it is really important because especially because the popularity of something like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, it's not just popular. I mean, it's been studied. It is prescribed by doctors. It's it's huge, right? It is kind of the go to. And it's, and for people who don't know, it's basically, and I'm not a CBT therapist. So again, this is just my understanding, but it's a way of working with your thoughts, interrupting them and changing them um, to manage feelings and to change your feelings. And so that is definitely one approach. I do see clients, I would say somewhat frequently who come to me after having done something like CBT um, because it wasn't quite what they needed. Um, it doesn't necessarily get into the emotional roots of something. And um, so that uh, way of working, uh, CBT and other other more cognitive uh, therapies, is what's called top-down. So this is sort of like there's different ways of changing or understanding what's going on for a person. Top-down is like, thinking, and then that affects your feelings. And that is absolutely one way that all therapies work anyway, right? That we're making words, we're using language, we're trying to understand each other on a cognitive level. And then there's a different way of entering, which is the bottom-up approach, and that is through the body. So, you know, you hit the nail on the head that like anxiety isn't, it can lead to rumination and Um, you know, these loops of thoughts that you can't stop thinking. Um, And CBT might address that. But there's a whole world of things going on in your body, where it your nervous system is totally lit up, you might be in fight or flight. And, um, you know, you find you can't relax, it might lead to a panic attack for some people, which is one of the ways that's like a purely physical experience. Um, Of course, you're you're also maybe feeling terror, but I I've never had a panic attack, but from what I have heard it described, you're not really thinking that much no. in those situations. And so, you know, both of these are valuable points of entry. And I think, from my opinion, that the the cognitive approach, the top down, has been mostly the tradition of psychotherapy from psychoanalysis, from Freud. Um And what is new or newer in the past 20 years or so is the bottom-up approach, really understanding 
that there is so much stored in the body. There is a way that your body is moving through the world, also having gone, having gone through everything you went through. So it's not, so there's different points of entry. The way that I work basically sort of uh, just, just, just moves between these different ways. Um, understanding if somebody comes in and they feel depressed, how is that manifesting in their body? They may not be able to get up in the morning. They might be lethargic, but it could be even more, um, you know, we kind of even get into more symbolic work with some clients as an access point for the bottom up approach. Like, you know, does the, the feeling of depression, do you have that feeling in your body? Okay, maybe it's a heaviness in your chest. Does that have a color or shape? or any type of image associated with it. So it's really, especially because we're so trained in our culture to be thinking all the time and to be trying to understand what's happening. Sometimes we need to bypass that to, to get to what the sort of pure feeling is. Mm, yes, absolutely. I love that. It's so important. And, and I, um, uh, recently had someone on the podcast who's a grief coach. And she said, you know, we were talking about, she said, you know, um, if you're trying to think your way through grief, and she said, it's actually the wrong tool for the job. It's actually a heart, uh, you know, with the work in the work she does, you know, she said, it's the heart that you're, you're healing. And um, so I, I think it's interesting how you're talking about like, and that would be this sort of, I guess, bottom up approach that, um, and it's, and it's true, like in the way anxiety can feel in your body and, and uh, that panic, it, it is, it's like your body is taking over and you're not, there's no amount of logical thinking that can help with that um, in some cases and for some people, right? So again, it's, you know, it's all very individual. So for people, and, and you did mention like in our culture, and and I think it's interesting, I, maybe we can talk about, and I think too, sort of in the thinking of, you know, being mental health week and for people, um, part of, you know, what I want people to be thinking about is like, I love this idea of demystifying therapy mm -hmm. for people. So, um, you know, if there's people that, you know, are sort of sitting there listening to you talk and they're thinking like, oh, like, hmm, yeah, I bump into stuff or I know I've got patterns like anxiety or, or, or depression or, or, you know, things that rumination or different things. And, um, you know, but sometimes people they're they're maybe nervous about coming to therapy or or maybe their culture doesn't support it or or even like it's funny how we talk about stigma with mental health, right? Mm -hmm. So then there's also the stigma around getting health, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. you need therapy, like something something really must be wrong with you if you need therapy, right? Like that can be a stigma that that comes with it. So maybe you can speak a little bit to um this whole idea of like uh I guess, like, how would you even know you need therapy? Um, and like, what can people expect? So they're not scared, because I think people can be like, afraid to call and make that appointment to be like, because then it's like, oh, I'm admitting there's something really like, or will they make me think there's I'm even worse off than I am. Yeah, <laughs> once I yeah. start, like open a can of worms, like, so these are some, of, I know you live in this world, but not for those of like, some people are like, really don't understand therapy. And it can be kind of a scary thing. I mean, absolutely. And, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was also on the other side of the chair as a client for many years and felt so much fear at different points. 
about the process. And so I, I, I do feel that I, I understand at least in a general way that it is, it is hard. It is scary. And often I see clients, you know, they reach out because they're at a breaking point at a point where they have tried, they've tried everything they know how to do for themselves. Mm. And they, they often feel that they're at the end of what they know how to do for themselves. And of course, you know, coming in maybe a little earlier, maybe is more helpful, right? When, when things are just starting to feel overwhelming or too much. Yeah. Well, no. So yeah, I think it's, well, no, you're, you're getting at it because it's, yeah, like people, like that's a time when you would know you would need therapy. Like you've tried everything. And then, so that, yeah. And that, and, and just to be fair, I kind of asked you three questions. <laughs> <laughs> so one was like, yeah, how do you kind of know you need therapy? Right, and, yes. then, and then what would you expect? Like, what could someone expect when they come to therapy if they don't really, like, are, you know, they're probably, am I laying on a couch? Like people are thinking like, what is it? Like we see it on right. TV, right. But people may not know. So what would it look like? like um for like and you and with your practice let's say because I know you can everyone's different right yeah and so maybe I'll actually go go back and add some more to that first question Mm -hmm. because you know we talked a bit about anxiety and depression which of course are um unfortunately uh fairly common and I also want to add also anxiety depression part of the human experience right this is something that everybody experiences so I want to also very much normalize that we have we all go through periods, including me, where feeling more anxious, feeling very sad or or down. Um, that is really normal. So it's when it becomes unmanageable, when it becomes uh, intrusive, or that you can't carry on with your regular life. And I would also add, you know, thinking about why do people come to therapy that actually there's a lot of other reasons people come to therapy. I mentioned earlier um, that sometimes people come trying to resolve a dilemma in their life, not knowing um, what decision to make. Um, And and often they're stuck for a long time um, because if they knew how to make that decision or they knew what they wanted, uh, they would have done it. So that's that's another example. And I would say people who are in different transition periods of their lives, that is a time when things come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we can uh, get uh, bogged down by things from the past through new, by new feelings. So uh, thinking about, you know, becoming an empty nester for example, <laughs> like yours truly here. <laughs> hint, that's, hint. Yeah, that's a huge like, transition. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. That's a huge life transition. And so that can bring up all sorts of feelings that are might be new, that might be unexpected. And uh, a therapist can absolutely help to hold and process those feelings. Um, because often we go through our life not really feeling our feelings um, and not knowing how to feel our feelings. Maybe that's a separate topic, but um, so, you know, any type of life transition, you you know, getting um, let go from your job, that's a huge one. Divorce, death, grief. um, And of course, grief can show up in, in many different uh, ways, not just when somebody dies. Mm -hmm. 
And um, all of that is, those are, those are also clients that I see. Right. And then there's clients who have a level of self-awareness around patterns that they want to change. So we talked a bit about like the pattern of shutting down. That is something that um, I do see also that there's people who have, they understand at least uh, a certain amount of what's going on and what they need to change. And they're here to change it. And then I would also say another group perhaps that, that I see is, um, yeah, like people, there's, there's also people dealing with illness, chronic illness. Um, that is also, uh, people that come to therapy. I mean, really it's like, it's the, the, the list is kind of endless. Um, so that, and I, I, Maybe want to add here that although, of course, I think therapy is awesome and beneficial and that most people could could benefit from seeing a therapist, at least for some time, I also feel that it's important to tap into your other resources, that therapy isn't the only route to learning how to, you know, regulate yourself, learning how to feel your emotions, allowing yourself self-compassion, that there are many other ways in, and that could be, like we said, like a journaling practice, an art practice, um, friendships, right? Like leaning on people around you um, and and pe- being with people who understand, who really want to understand you and maybe hold space similarly to how a therapist might, if you're hopefully lucky enough to have someone like that in your life. Mm-hmm. Um and that and that kind of list goes on and on. It can also be through physical activity, exercise, sport, um, community. That you know, those are those are also ways that people can heal. It's not just this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I tend to, you know, one of the the, the tensions I hold is that uh, therapy is a one on one thing, and as a relational therapist, especially, I know that being in community is also hugely healing. And so that's, that's something that, you know, encouraging clients to, uh, if they can cultivate a community around them of, of people who support them, uh, that is, that is huge. That is really important. Those are all things that help be flourish, right? Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yes. Yeah. And then to your other question of like, what is the experience of therapy? Mm-hmm. So if a client, when a client comes to me, we'll have um, usually a 15 minute sort of like meet and greet. Uh, it's free. I offer a free 15 minute uh, video call or phone call. And that really just is uh, to touch base, to to get a, a feel for each other, to see if it's a good fit from both sides. Right. So I don't, you know, I won't necessarily uh, take every single client that I see, because it may not be the right fit, they might need something kind of different than what I offer. Um, And so it's my responsibility to also be aware of that. And then um, the client might be looking for something else, or they might be looking for what I'm offering. So it's a way to just uh, answer a few questions and get a, a very basic feel for each other. And then if it moves forward, we then have um, we start a session. A session is 50 minutes long. That's how I do it. Five zero. 50. Five zero. Yeah. yeah. And it takes place virtually. My practice is completely virtual. Um, 
And so we usually uh, start wherever the client wants to. So my sessions are uh, open-ended and that can be really scary for some people. Uh, and so we work with that. We, we then also talk about how it feels to be, to be nervous or to not have anything to talk about. And there's all kinds of different entry points. I obviously try to make my clients feel welcomed. I try to be as warm and welcoming mm -hmm. as I can be so that they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, eventually talking happens um, and the client will start to share and I will ask questions. I will try to deepen uh, my understanding of what's going on for the client. Uh, I'll hold any emotions that come up and make space, as much space as is needed for that. And, and then we kind of just go where the client wants to go. This is maybe part of the overlap between life coaching. I think you said that the, the, the life coach, the belief uh, that the clients are resourceful. Yeah, naturally creative, resourceful and whole. Naturally creative, resourceful and whole. So my personal belief um, about people is very similar to that, that actually we're, we're all striving toward healing. And sometimes that happens in ways that causes problems. Sometimes we're, we're doing things that we, that, that feel self-protective or healing, but that have negative consequences to us or to other people. But it's that it's the movement toward and I think this is natural, there's a movement toward healing. Um, and so trusting that whatever unfolds in the therapy session is what's supposed to happen. That's where we're supposed to be. So if a client is having a lot of trouble getting into emotion or sharing, that is where they are. And so I meet them there. Mm -hmm. And that is my my approach my approach to therapy and so the other aspect is that my relationship with the client also builds over time trust builds naturally organically over time and that's also part of the process um and so we also can't force or rush something like that yeah right absolutely and yeah i can see that how it and and as much as i i'm telling like you you do create this beautiful, um, you have just such a warm and caring um, way about you that I could see that, you know, speeding up the process, but it does take time, right? And like, you, you know, to make and for people to feel comfortable and, and, and it depends too what they're, we're dealing with. And yeah. it can be really difficult to talk and there's all the emotions that come up, right? There can be shame that comes up and fear and and all the things like that we don't necessarily want to think about and unpack. Like that's, yeah. that's what we've been avoiding. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> it's like, now I got to talk about all that stuff. I, you know, I've been shoving down. <laughs> I didn't really yes. want to talk about. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's so it, Brenda. And I think one of the things that, I mean, every, every day I am, you know, so grateful for the work I do and for the client, the way my clients show up, because it takes, so much courage. It takes so much courage to face what we don't want to feel. But I also know that what it's like on the other side when you do let yourself feel. And, you know, we, we often don't know how to pro allow feelings to be felt. 
because they feel bad, you know, talking about shame, that's one of the worst feeling feelings that humans have. And so we avoid it, of course. And I'm a human too. I also do those things. And, um, but the power of being able to actually feel the feelings and know that they don't last forever, to feel heard and held by another person, which is often what people didn't experience when they had really hard emotions, being able to provide that um, for people. Uh, and it does take so much courage to go to go there, to, to face things that we might know on some level, but that we're really afraid to feel or to find out more about. And I, I really, res- I really like respect my clients and respect their autonomy to go as deeply as they are ready for. Yes. And they're, you know, if they come back every week, then they are getting something out of this. Something is happening, even if it's really incremental changes, which for some people, the work can be really slow. For other people, it can be very fast. So so how do you know if someone is the right therapist for you? Yeah, that can be, I mean, that's a, that's a really common question. And it can be tricky because there's so many therapists out there and you can have, you know, a consultation, like a 15 minute consultation or a full session. And I would say that what you'd be looking for in those first, in a first meeting is um, on a very basic level, is this a person I feel comfortable with? Is this a person that I feel like I could open up to at some point? Doesn't have to be right away. Um, but just, just sort of going by those feelings because you don't, it's, it's a short consultation. So there often isn't a lot of time to decide. So I would say those would be the, the two main questions you want to ask yourself. And then just maybe a gut feeling of like, hmm, does this feel right? That often is the right answer. Um, yeah, that's, that's, those would be the main points. That's great. And I think you had said too, that that was like, was it the research shows or that, that um, client and therapist fit has a really big impact on, yes. on, on um, their results or how does that? Yes. So, yeah. So the studies of psychotherapy have shown uh, and these are huge studies that have been done showing that the relationship between the client and the therapist is the number one indicator of success in the therapy. So, wow. yeah, so fit, what we might call fit is really, really important, really important. And this is what it's all about. And I think, and I know we need to wrap up here, but I think it's that that's a good note to end on that. Like it's knowing what's on the other side. And on the other side is that, you know, feeling better. And like when we shine a light on those difficult things and we see the patterns, like, so what comes out the other side is, is feeling better, right. And feeling um, happier and, and more able to deal with the the things that life throws your way. And um, anything else you want to add to that? Well, yeah, no, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like, like what is on that other side? The other side is um, hopefully more authenticity, really understanding yourself in a much more full way and having compassion for, the patterns of behavior or coping that you've been using 
and that you might return to, of course. And this this big thing, you didn't say the word, but I will say it, this resiliency piece, right? That 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 by understanding ourselves better, we can we can come out the other side actually being more resilient in life because life is hard. There are lots of crappy things that happen. Mm, yeah. And and so um you know part of what therapy is is that it helps to build that resiliency. And there's also a real freedom that I've experienced as a client and have seen with my clients when they have gotten to some of those other sides. Yeah. That even if it's really painful there is a freedom in not avoiding something anymore and having gone through I went through those really hard feelings and here I am I'm still alive I'm still I'm intact it's okay yeah. it's okay mm. yeah. oh so beautiful and I think that really is where um, also where the work overlaps between the two of us and where we connect as well, Sarah, is this whole like, you know, I think, um, you know, the program that we took, right, with positive psychology, like this other program, not the psychotherapy, uh, the life coaching, but um, the the um, positive psychology background that you and I both have, it's that whole idea of showing up in the world the way you want to. And, you know, we both come at it from different ways, but I look at therapy, what a beautiful way of really being able to show up authentically as who you are and having the freedom, as you said, to, to do that. It's, it's really beautiful. And what a great way to live your life and, and be out in the world, right? Having looked at these things and, and being able to really truly be who you want to be and, and showing up the way you want to show up. Mm -hmm. So for people that want to, oh, oh, and before we, okay, I have two questions. So what yeah. I'm going to ask you, um, like I ask all my guests is what's one thing, I think maybe you've already touched on it. What's one thing that you recommend that women or those who identify as women could do to, uh, to flourish in their lives? Right. Yeah. And I wonder if I'm going to say the thing you think I'm going to say. Um, so yes, I, I think that even though I would love to say, oh, everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> of course, that would be helpful. I have no doubt. But <laughs> right. what I truly think would make a difference for, for most women, especially, is finding community. Mm. And that, that and not just, you know, not just anybody, but people who get you, the, mm. you know, your people. And that can be hard and it can take time. But can, it, it's it's so rewarding, right? We I think most people have read these studies that have come out um, saying that, you know, that the kind of best, happiest people and people who have the most life satisfaction at the end of their life uh, have that because they're in connection with others. And, you know, all types of connection are valid too, right? So it's like the finding your people, but also having a chat with the barista, smiling at the bus driver, those all add up. And for some people, that's really hard. And that's okay. That's yeah. where you are. And that's not and it's not for everybody. But yeah, I would say finding finding at least one community of people and a community of people doesn't have to be a lot of people either. Right? Yeah, and be small. Yeah. 
Wonderful. So finding community and yeah, you're right. I am surprised that was not what I expected you to say. (laughs) Um, And then um, on a final note, just for people that um, are thinking, okay, like I would really like to get to like um, find out how to connect with you and, and maybe consider having you as their therapist or have that initial meeting to try, you know, to see if there's a fit there. Um, How can people connect with you? Yeah, so um, a couple of ways. The best way is through my website, which is flanagantherapy.ca. Um, and Flanagan is spelt with all A's. Um, and I'm sure Brenda will put it in the notes I'll if anyone needs to look, look at the spelling. So flanagantherapy.ca, I have a form in there. It, it breaks down therapy and, um, and, a, and it, there's a great way of getting in touch with me. Um, through there. And then the other way is through Psychology Today, which is um, an online directory. And I mean, I will just put a shout out. I mean, it'd be wonderful if people are interested in working with me. Great. But Psychology Today is a great resource for browsing therapists in general. You Mm -hmm. can plug in your postal code and get therapists who are near you, which, you know, with most with the online factor maybe isn't as important these days. But if you want to go in person, that would be good to know. Mm-hmm. And then you can browse, you know, there's different modalities. I do relational therapy, but there's so many different modalities. And reading the profiles of different therapists, you can also get a feel for who you might be a match with. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm also on Psychology Today. If you uh, look up Sarah Flanagan, I'm there. Um, but I just recommend it as a general resource. Yes, thank you for that. And, and you work with I know we have a lot of um, parents that also listen, and they might be thinking, Oh, my child needs needs therapy. But um, there's a what age do you start at for your practice? So I work with adults. So that would be 18 and over. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so so not not younger, but there are lots of really awesome therapists who work with, um, with with people who are under under the age of 18. And so that's something that could be found also in psychology today. This okay. little ad for psychology. Yes. Today. Well, that's helpful to know, right? It's, it's like yeah. match.com, but right. for it, a therapist. It kind of is. <laughs> so, so we'll, uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I just want to say thank you so much and happy birthday, Sarah. I'm thank so um, honored to be able to spend time with you today and to have you on the show. And thank you so much for all, all that you've shared today. Thanks for listening to the She Flourishes podcast. I hope this episode has inspired you to keep on creating the flourishing life you deserve. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would benefit from it. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. To learn more about how you can live a flourishing life, head over to brendajasmine.com or follow me on Instagram at underscore brendajasmine. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, keep on sharing your gifts with the world. See you soon.